Hey, Hill City, welcome. I am so glad to be wrapping up our sermon series today that we've called Stronger. And it's been about relationships. We've been talking about what it means to have a relationship with God, what it looks like when our faith is being deconstructed. And the last couple of weeks, we've um, been able to navigate together this whole conversation around sexuality. And so today, I want to wrap up this series really focusing on this idea of how Jesus relates to us is a signal and a sign of how we can relate to one another. So we're going to look at a few stories together. But before we do that, I just want to sort of like land us again at this whole series. We've been talking about one kind of um, concept ongoing. The quality of our lives will rise and fall on the quality of our relationships. And we've talked about relationships of all kinds, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and also our relationship with what's happening in the world around us. So we're going to talk about how Jesus relates to us and what that means for us relating to one another. I did want to check with you guys to make sure that this was an issue that you have in your life. So I did a quick Instagram poll earlier this week that we'll pull up. And as you can see, um, 6% of you don't think that you need any help with your relationships, but the rest of us actually do. The rest of us are trying to figure out what it looks like to navigate relationships really with grace and with love and with truth. And a lot of the time that I spend in my work here with you guys and with others is all around this idea of conflict. How do we communicate with one another? How do we get what's in here out of us? And a lot of times we um, can actually lay religion on top of all of what we know about relationships and get ourselves even more confused. That confusion might sound like something like, does love mean that I put up with bad behavior? Um, if you knew what this person did to me, you would know why I can't forgive them. Uh, it might sound like I've messed up so much I don't deserve to be loved. It might look like, doesn't my adult child need to know that I don't agree with their choices? It might look like that I know I'm supposed to put God first, but what about my needs? And then I think when it comes to Jesus and it comes to a relationship with Jesus, we're trying to place a relationship with Jesus in, in some kind of relationship that we know. So we're asking, is Jesus my Lord? What does that mean? Is he my judge? Is Jesus my savior? Is Jesus my convenient comforter when I'm needing it? Is he my genie in a bottle? Is Jesus like my casual friend? And because of all of that, we've got struggles in our relationships and questions that come sort of out of religious thinking. And so what I want to do today is kind of just pull it back and ask ourselves the question, who does Jesus say that he is and how does Jesus relate and what does that teach us about how we can relate to one another? So I want to build on where John left off last week. He talked about this idea that our identity as a child of God is our starting point. So I want to look at that here together first. So we're going to take a look at um, some passages, some verses that we looked at last week. John 1, verses 12 through 14. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so I want to focus our attention today around this idea of what it means that Jesus was full of grace 
and truth. And I wanna start with a couple of definitions. So hang with me, if you're a note taker, this would be a good time to take a note. I wanna give you three definitions that come out of this little phrase full of grace and truth. The first is grace. We talk about grace all the time, but I wanna give you like a honed in definition from the Bible. When the Bible talks about grace, what is it talking about? So here's what I wrote down. Grace is the boundaryless, no boundaries. Grace is the boundaryless, unmerited, undeserved love of God. Grace has no boundaries. Grace is not because of something that we've done, and grace is not because of something we do or do not deserve. The grace of God is this undeserved love of God given to us. Secondly, what does it mean when Jesus is full of truth? And we like to use truth in lots of different ways in our culture. So here's what I wrote down about what this word truth means here in this passage. Truth is the reality of things as God sees them, not as I see them. Truth is the reality of things as God sees them, not as I see them. And then this word full, full of grace and truth. This full word means like abounding, like abundant. It doesn't mean balanced. It means full of both. Full both of the undeserved, unmerited love of God and full of the reality that God sees, not the reality that we see. So here's why that is important. Um, Grace is unmerited and undeserved love, not unconditional and unchallenged behavior. So here's why I wanted to to bring that up, okay? Because it seems like we have sort of um, just glided into the idea that grace and truth in my relationships looks like I need to be accepted, um, not just on my identity, but I need to be accepted for whatever my truth means. My truth needs to be your truth. And so when I think about uh, the idea of equating the views that we have as my truth, my perspectives are my truth, my opinions are my truth, we sort of put all of those things on par with ultimate reality. So my truth is then my reality. And so in order to be loved, because it's all on par with each other, the idea that my, my identity is my truth, my perspectives are my truth, my opinions are my truth, my behaviors are my truth. When those are all on par with each other, it means that in order to be loved, I feel like I need to be accepted for all of those things and that only people who accept all those things actually love me. And this has been a thing that's been going on in our culture for a while. There's a book called The Big Sort by Bill Bishop, and he explains that in this perspective of our truth, meaning that I have um, held my perspectives and my priorities and my opinions all on board as my reality, what's happened is we've sort of sorted ourselves as a country into places and being with people who believe what we do. And here's an example of that. In 1976, less than 25% of Americans lived in a county where there was a landslide victory of a president. So said another way, only one in four of us was surrounded by people who would have voted exactly the way that we did. But by 2016, 80% of Americans lived in counties where there was a landslide victory for one president, presidential candidate or the other. So just in a period of one generation, we've moved to a place where it's like, I need to be surrounded by people who believe like me, who think like me. And on some level, I think all of us can be like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But the problem is 
we've actually become more divisive, more lonely, and more isolated. So what maybe seemed like it would lead us to a place of more peace, more joy, has actually led us away from peace and joy. Substituting my truth for everything about my reality, my opinions, my identity, my preferences, all of that, not just my identity, but all of these other things, putting them all together, has led us to this sort of um, collective rift that we see particularly in race gender, and class. Brene Brown says it this way, it's time to confront these these issues. And in order to do so, we have to acknowledge that our lack of tolerance for vulnerable, tough conversations is driving our self-sorting and disconnection. So here's what I think is happening. I think we're exchanging um, connection for transaction instead. So instead of going to the deeper places of how we could be connected to one another, we're going to transact on our opinions, on our preferences, on our behaviors. And in that that transaction, the deeper needs that we have for belonging, for connection, to be known, to have our identity secure, have been traded away. And instead, we have fear, loneliness, and despair. It seems like if I have to surround myself by people who think like me, fear like me, blame like me, that's the only way I can feel less isolated and alone. And friends, this is antithetical to the way that Jesus actually lived out the life with his disciples. This idea of of no vulnerable, tough conversations, the idea that we're just going to agree with each other on every level, when in in fact, Jesus's life in the Gospels is full of conflict. It's absolutely rife with conflict. So if we think that this self-sorting is somehow going to lead us to this joy and peace, we're not really actually walking in the way of Jesus. So here's how you might know if you're living in that lonely place where you've sort of substituted transactional relationship for real and true connection. Here's a few things that I wrote down. You feel more fear than love in your life. You view others with suspicion or as a threat to your own standing or security. So the way that you look out at the others, those who are different than you, is in a place of suspicion. You have no relationships or very few where someone can challenge your behavior and still offer you love and relationship. You have no relationships or very few where there is no mutual submission, sort of like I'm willing to see things from your perspective and I'm willing to share from my perspective. You desire to feel more connected, understood, or accepted, but you don't know how to get there. So if any of these apply to you, I have some good news. And the good news is that Jesus offers an altogether different way for us to be in our relationships. And I want to look at what this idea of full of grace and truth actually looks like in Jesus's life. And the way we're going to do it is by taking a look at a few interchanges between Jesus and one of his main disciples, Peter. So if you've been around church for a little bit, you might know stories about Jesus and stories about Peter. But I want to just bring three different examples together. And I want us to look at these examples through the lens that Jesus perfectly models what it looks like to be full of grace, the unmerited, undeserved love of God, and full of truth 
naming reality as God actually sees it. So we're going to take a couple of um, examples from Scripture. We're going to start in Luke chapter 5, if you want to go there. And I have it up here, and I'm just going to tell you a little story as we look at this passage together, okay? So this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, These disciples have not yet been called by Jesus. So right before this, he's gone up to these guys and said, hey, can you push your boat out so I can teach from the water so that people can hear me and see me? And so all of that has just happened. Jesus has taught. So now he's like in the boat with these guys, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 5. Simon is also called Peter. So if you see Simon, it also means Peter. Simon said, hey, what, what Jesus has just said to Simon is, hey, why don't you let down your nets and try to get a catch of fish? But it's during the day now, okay? And so Peter like looks back at him and he's like, hey, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So they've just pulled up their nets, they've cleaned their nets, and now it's the middle of the day, not a time where people are fishing. And Peter's kind of like, I don't know what this guy's about, but sure, if you want me to put down my nets, I'll put down my nets. So he puts the nets down, and it says in verse 6, they did this, and they caught this huge number of fish. Like, just the fish just filled the nets. The nets began to break. They had to call people from other boats to come over and help them. The boat was so full of fish that the boat was actually sinking under the weight of that fish. And so when Simon Peter saw this, this is the curious part of this passage. He fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, so we're not going to go way deep into this passage, but here's what I want you to know about this moment. Jesus uses miracles in people's lives to illustrate his teaching. He uses miracles to illustrate reality. And so when Jesus said, throw out your nets, and the fish, it was just abundant fish. It was like a living experience of what grace actually is. And I think that Peter's response was so like, oh, oh my gosh, like I— this unmerited, undeserving love. Like I was treating you like a per, like a commoner, like, okay, Jesus, I'll put my nets down. And here I'm seeing you for who you really are. And, and Peter's response to that grace was like, I need to get away from it. Like it's, it's so much that I just, I can't even be near it because I'm like experiencing this grace. But Jesus is not just a balance of grace and truth. He's full of grace and full of truth. So in this moment of grace, he actually looks at Peter and says, don't be afraid. I'm calling you to a new reality. I'm going to call you to a new reality where now you're going to fish for people. So hold on to that story. So this is kind of Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. He's able to bring all of that love, but he's also able to name reality for what it actually is. Matthew 16, let's look at this passage. Now these guys have been walking together with Jesus for a while, and Jesus turns to his disciples at one point, and he's hearing that other people are saying, is this Elijah? Is this John the Baptist? Who is this guy who's doing these miracles? People are just fascinated, curious about what's happening in Jesus's life. And Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, and he answers first. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in this moment, when Peter's able to name reality, Jesus replies in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I mean, what 
a high point in your life if you are Peter. If you're Peter, you've been walking with Jesus. Jesus turns and asks you a question. You answer the question. And Jesus is like, you are blessed for your answer. I mean, this is like the mountaintop. And just three verses later, it says Jesus began to explain to them what was going to happen. Remember, Jesus is full of truth. He's full of reality as God names it. And so he's saying to his disciples, hey, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of elders, the chief priests, that I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. And Peter's coming off of this moment where Jesus has just said, blessed are you for understanding who I really am. And Peter pulls Jesus aside after Jesus is giving this teaching about what's about to happen as he's naming reality. He's full of truth. And Peter pulls him aside in verse 22 and says, Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I mean, hold the phone. (laughs) That is not a good day if you are Peter. He has just been on this mountaintop experience. Yes, I get it. I'm connected. I'm in this relationship with Jesus. But when it comes down to it, when Peter oversteps his authority, when Peter starts to name reality the way he understands reality, when Peter starts to name his truth, and he's like, no, Jesus, this will never be. Everything you're teaching, that's not going to happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's so clear about where he's going. Jesus is so full of truth and so clear about what reality really is that he will not let anything stand in the way of that. Now, I want to ask you, if someone you loved called you out like that, what would be your response? You see, guys, we've gotten all of this, our behavior, our preferences, everything mixed in with our identity. But here's the reality. Jesus Jesus Christ, who loves us, who gave his life for us, lives a life where he is expressing what it looks like to be full of grace. But what I think we might be less comfortable with is that Jesus also lives a life where he expresses what it looks like to be full of truth. Now, here's the difference in our relationships. Most of us in our relationships, when we experience a full of truth moment, we withdraw our love. So if we're not going to if we're not going to get along if I'm going to challenge you or you're going to challenge me and we it's a hard thing to be full of truth what we're going to do is actually kind of withdraw love. But what we see here that Jesus does is that Jesus does not withdraw love when he is full of truth. In fact, he doesn't withdraw love so much that he goes to the cross to offer us the kind of love that never withdraws, the kind of love that will never leave us or forsake us. So many of us, though, have experienced that full of truth means if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to lean in, if I'm going to be vulnerable, our relationship is going to sever. We're not going to be full of love anymore. And what would it look like if with one another, if in our closest relationships, if if the ones who are sitting next to you right now, if actually we were able to be full of truth, but it was it was like surrounded by grace. It was just full of grace, like a grace sandwich. Because Jesus keeps pursuing Peter, even after this moment, even after he says, hey, get behind me, Satan. He doesn't say, get away from me. He actually keeps Peter close. And Peter, in his failing, Jesus does not withdraw relationship, full of grace and full of truth. Last passage. 
And this is sort of the lowest of the low point with Peter, but I want to bring us here because I think it's really important in the story of Peter. So Jesus has said he's going to go to the cross. He has said that he's going to be arrested, betrayed. He's going to, he's going to die. And even when he says that you're going to betray me, Peter's like, I'm never going to betray you. I'll go to, the, I'll go to death for you. This is like the night before Jesus' death. And Jesus is like, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. Like, you're going to deny me three times before the morning. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. But he does. He does. The stakes get high. Everyone abandons Jesus. He's kind of out there. He's being beaten, mocked. This is like this fake trial is going on. All of it is this incredible act of injustice. It's sort of the worst of human nature you see in the Passion Week up to Jesus's death. And Peter is experiencing the worst of human nature. And when he feels threatened, when he feels worried, he denies Jesus over and over again. In Luke 22, in in perhaps one of the most poignant passages in Scripture, verses 60 and 62, Peter is now for the third time denied that he knows Jesus. And he says, I don't even know what you're talking about to the person who's confronted him. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, I want us to stay in context because in this moment, now, Peter has just experienced knowing that Jesus knows that he disowned him, that he denied him. Jesus looks at him. Peter knows that he knows. And when Peter goes outside, Jesus goes to the cross So Peter's experience of his relationship with Jesus is that his last moment with Jesus, who he followed, who he loved, who he claimed allegiance to, the last moment that he has with Jesus before his death is Jesus knowing that Peter has betrayed him. And and that's it. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. I mean, that's it. And so we know the end of the story. We know what happens. But in this moment, what Peter experiences is surely, surely, this is the moment where I have broken this relationship and it can never be redeemed. Surely, surely, I will now carry this with me for the rest of my life that I myself have denied Jesus. I called him Lord. I said he was Messiah. And then I disowned him three times as he went to his death. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. John chapter 21, we actually end the story of Peter where it began. Peter's fishing again. He's back to his trade. He's back to what he knew. And so he goes out to fish, and we hear a very similar story to the one that we started with. In John chapter 21, Simon Peter says to his friends, hey, I'm going to go out to fish. They all went out. They went out in the boat. They went out all night, and they didn't catch anything. It's exactly the same story as the one we read in Luke. And then they sort of see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is back, you know, he's, and he's on the shore. And they ask, he asks them if they've caught anything, and they say no. And Jesus says, put down your nets. They put down their nets, same thing. They have this miraculous catch of fish. And I, I just imagine being Peter in this moment, just flashing back to his experience of where his relationship started with Jesus. This, this moment where he said to Jesus, like, get away from me. Like, it's too much. Your grace, like, your love is too much. And now Jesus is doing the same thing again. Like, he's just offering full of grace over and over again, just like as if they have not missed a beat. 
And it's just happening again. And Peter's like, catches all this fish. He jumps out of the boat. He goes to Jesus. Beautiful passage. If you haven't read it, John chapter 21, I want to encourage you to read it this week, where Jesus actually reconciles with Peter and brings him back into relationship with him. Full of grace. But even at the end, even at the end of the gospel, at the end of their interaction, when Jesus and Peter are interacting, still Jesus is full of truth. He continues to name reality for Peter for what it really is. And so when Peter's like asking about another disciple, like what's going to happen to him, Jesus just says in verse 22, hey, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Full of grace and full of of truth. So much of us, I think, sees grace and truth in our relationships like this. We think about it like a balance. I've got a balance like on a seesaw. And on this side is grace. And on this side is truth. And we talk about it that way. We're like, well, I'm a person who, who, who loves truth. You know, like I'm a justice seeker. I'm a person who loves grace. I, I just, you know, I love mercy. And I've got to balance grace and truth. And I think a lot of us think our relationship with Jesus is like this too, that he's like balancing grace and truth. And maybe, just maybe, this will be the time where Jesus will have had enough. And the balance, he's just gonna, he's gonna just go to truth and we're just gonna be condemned or punished or whatever, or just, or else we see it as only one way and like Jesus is always fine with me. There's never really like whatever my preferences are his preferences. It always works out that way. Like Jesus is always in my corner. And I gotta say, guys, if if you're really in a relationship with Jesus. There should be times where you feel really challenged. If you're, if you're walking with Jesus and you're studying the scriptures and you're around people who are following Jesus, because what it looks like to be full of grace and truth, if we're going to be like Jesus, it's more like this diagram, okay? Full, this is grace, and this is truth. And when we're full of grace and full of truth, at that intersection, is what real love is. Most of us have not experienced love this way. We've experienced people who say, if you are with me in truth, then I'll be in relationship with you and we'll call that love. Or we have people who are like, as long as you accept me on every level for everything I am, then then we'll call that love. We're going to balance it. But what Jesus says is that real love is full of both grace and truth. Real love is willing to step into vulnerable spaces to say, hey, we can all be under the authority of God together and I can point you toward the Lord in truth. Well, I stay in relationship, that there's there's love here, that you're always accepted in your identity. Grace is the unmerited, undeserving love of God that is always available to us. And truth is reality as God sets reality. And our whole lives are about this movement towards what would it look like to be people who are pursuing being full of both grace and full of truth, able to hold those together to move toward that love. What Jesus abounds in with Peter is the continued offer of grace within reality. Grace within reality looks like us continuing to miss the mark and Jesus continuing to show up. That miraculous catch of fish at the first meeting was the same grace that Jesus offered even after Peter's betrayal. The grace never changed. What Jesus offers is not contingent on our response, but that doesn't mean he doesn't keep naming reality because he absolutely names reality. There is no greater reality 
than to know that you are deeply flawed and fully loved by God. There is no greater reality. So if you're struggling with someone in your life, if you want to follow Jesus, first of all, struggle with this with Jesus. <laughs> struggle with this with Jesus. Ask, where, where, am I, where am I not seeing that full of grace and full of truth in my own life? Because Jesus calls us to the kind of life that requires sacrifice, and it requires laying down our right to be right, and it requires denying ourselves and taking up our cross. It requires placing sometimes our own opinions and preferences aside. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to be loved by Jesus. And to be loved by Jesus is to love like Jesus. So I want to ask you in any place, in any of those relationships that you may be struggling, if you're struggling with someone, are you abounding in grace? If you're struggling with someone, are you abounding with truth even when it's hard? And here's the truth. If you're not abounding in grace for someone you're struggling with, it's probably not time yet for a confrontation. We have been given the power in the Spirit of God to actually do this, to really be growing on this diagram, to be full of grace and full of truth. Jesus abounds in grace for you. Jesus defines reality for you. And our job over everything else is to allow ourselves to be loved by Jesus and to continue to pursue what it looks like to love like Jesus. So as we close today, I want to just give you a minute, and maybe you draw this at home if you'd like, or you can use the one that you see on the screen. And I just would encourage you to maybe make a mark where you think you are in your pursuit of finding this intersection of abounding grace and abounding truth. Maybe just make a mark where you think you are right now in a particular relationship, maybe in a place where God is calling you to be more vulnerable and more open with what you see in someone's life that you love who may be struggling, or maybe to be more vulnerable and more open in what you see in someone that is hard for you to love, that God might be asking you to, to continue to extend relationship, to continue to lean in, to ask yourself the question, are you withdrawing relationship because of a disagreement? Or are you willing to step into that place and truly love like Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, it's... Uh, so much for us to even try to understand that Jesus, what you came and expressed in your character is what it actually looks like to be full of grace and full of truth. And there's not one of us in this space who can do that perfectly. There's not one of us who has done it perfectly. And Jesus, that's not even what you're asking of us. I think what you're asking of us first and foremost is to receive and believe in the grace that you have for us. This unmerited, undeserved love that you just lavished upon us, that you continue to lavish upon us, even in our worst moment, that that grace continues to be extended to us. But Jesus, you love us so much that you don't just leave us there. You invite us into reality as you see reality and you walk with us into these places where you are just full of truth full of reality as God sees reality. And Lord, our, our, just our desire is to become more like you, to take a step in that direction, both abounding in grace for one another, but also abounding in truth for one another as we seek together to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.